Welcome to The Journey, an online commentary on today's scripture reading with Seth Davidson. Today's reading is from Acts chapter 22, verses 30 through 23, 11. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priests into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out where the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him in the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Do you dare to insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say, you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits. But the Pharisees believe in all these. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more and more, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Well, one of the old classic movies is called Twelve Angry Men. Uh, it's set in black and white, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but it's a, a fascinating account of a trial, a murder trial, where there's 11 uh, jurors who believe that one teen is guilty, but juror number eight, says no. And because they need all 12 to agree beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt, the whole movie is a dialogue that then gets into the backstory of each of these, many of whom are angry men. Well, I thought about that today as I was reading this text, because this is sort of Paul's uh, first uh, trial, if you were. It's, it's more of a pre-trial. The, the commander of the Roman army uh, put, uh, puts together the high council. And this is Paul's uh, first sort of actual trial, uh, first of a few that he will be a part of. And so in that, there is this man named Ananias, who's the high priest, uh, who who is in league, uh, he's likely a Sadducee, he's likely in league with Rome, um, and he is um, very much a man who believes that Paul is in the wrong and believes that Paul needs to be disposed of. And so um, Ananias has Paul slapped in the face, uh, as we read today. This strikes Paul as wrong and off, uh, not the way a religious leader uh, would act. Um, but then they say, uh, hey, Paul, you, don't, you shouldn't speak evil about the ruler of your people. Turns out this guy is the one in charge, Ananias. And so Paul steps back and quotes scripture um, 
you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. So Paul, interestingly, sort of, uh, he, he's willing to stand up for the gospel, but he also has a view that those who are in leadership have been put there by God and therefore deserve respect. In uh, Romans as well, he'll say, you should obey the rulers and authorities. And so there's this sense that, that Paul, uh, Paul tells us to honor our authorities. Then Paul sees uh, in verse six, he knows how divided the council is. Uh, he knows that they have two distinct camps, that there's division and divisiveness. And so taking that opportunity to take the heat off himself and to put it on them, he knows, uh, he says, I am on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Well, this is quite true. It's his hope in Jesus, the resurrected King, the Messiah who lays down his life and is raised from the dead. And so it's very true that's central to Paul's gospel. And he knows that this is one of those dividing lines for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees only believe in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Uh, and there's no mention in those five books of resurrection from the dead. Well, the Pharisees would take all our Old Testament canon of scripture, which talks about resurrection. And so this is one of those uh, those things that they can't find agreement on. And when they can't find agreement and tensions are high, this has put a wedge in the council. And so this essentially um, gets sort of Paul off the stand as they are infighting and can't figure out things together. So seeing the uproar, it said uh, in verse nine, the commander takes Paul back to the barracks. And that night, God says, be encouraged. Just if you've been my witness in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news to Rome as well. So all these events, though difficult, though, um, though not as Paul would like, it, there is this sense of determination, both by Paul to get to Rome, and it turns out from God himself through his spirit to reveal to Paul, yes, my intent is for you to travel to Rome. Whenever we approach a text of scripture, the first thing we must do is read according to context and let the scripture speak for itself, which I've tried to do here. This passage is relatively straightforward, particularly when we realize the dynamics of that, uh, the Sanhedrin, that council of these two divisive factions. The Pharisees would be more in the conservative camp the uh, Sadducees would be more in the liberal camp if we are just to try to find a way to understand that in our context and, and what's happening here. So when we first try to understand what's happening in the first century context or wherever scripture was written, then we can look and try to apply to our own context. That is what we would call exegesis which is just a fancy way of saying from out of the text we apply to our lives as opposed to from our lives we put things into the text. That is called eisegesis. And so having looked at it that first pass, let me give a few thoughts of how this might relate today. Understanding that it's not a one-to-one -one, uh, correspondence 
uh, nor am I trying to put thoughts on any particular rulership or party. But when I look at this, I just see a lot in our own cultural context today. First, beginning with the divisiveness in verse 6. When we think about particularly our political climate that is so divisive that it just takes one person with one quote that creates so much noise that we can't get anything done, or so it seems to me. Um, when people won't listen to one another, when people assume the worst about the motivation and the character of someone, just because we may not agree politically or otherwise, we're, we're sort of, uh, I don't know what we can do with that when we begin in that place. Um, second thing, and I, I have to challenge myself on verse five, um, verses four and five. Do you dare to insult God's high priest? And Paul says, for the scriptures say, you must not speak evil of your rulers. I need to step back because I can easily say, gosh, what's wrong in our, our system, our climate, the whole thing that's uh, so divisive. And I can think or speak evil about those in positions of authority. And Paul goes back to Exodus chapter 22. I went back, back and looked at it and he quoted it exactly verbatim. Don't speak evil about any of your rulers. Well, there's some wisdom in this, you know. There are times where if one speaks evil about a ruler, the one in power can dispose of the one who's talking about them. But there is also a sense that I can't be part of a solution trying to draw people together when I am speaking ill of a person uh, in an elected office, um, particularly indicting their character, which I do not know. See, I can be part of the problem and the divisiveness even if I'm not attempting to. So what's the antidote for this in our political climate? And again, I'm trying to take the truths of scripture and then apply them 2,000 years later. Doesn't mean I'm thinking the scriptures are speaking uh, in ways, um, it doesn't mean I'm putting our current context on the scriptures. I'm trying to understand the scriptures and then understand our context in light. I think it begins when we first, in verse 11, when we cultivate that relationship with God. That's how we can know that our motivations are in line with his spirit. And when we're connecting with him, uh, he can soften us, he can uh, challenge us and change us. We may view a certain situation correctly, but the way we approach it and the vitriol we might uh, communicate with we can communicate truth in an untruthful way. The second thing is, what if we tried to step back and understand where a person was coming from, whether it's an elected official or a person uh, in our lives who we know may disagree with where we're at. I have some people in my life that we differ in a lot of ways, <laughs> whether it's theological views or uh, political views or social views and the like. Now these are 
friends who are also committed followers of Jesus, and I trust that. I trust them, and I trust their character. I've got to tell you, I don't always agree, but those conversations shared in trust, it helps me understand my blind spots. It helps me understand a perspective that's different, of, that, that would cause me to pause and have more grace with those who would disagree. To, to have more grace with rulers uh, at the, the local, state, and national level. It doesn't necessarily mean my mind is changed, but it does help me understand, and it actually helps those relationships grow, and we can move to solution sides of things under our control. I think if we did more of that, it would yield a lot better results uh, in our lives, in our communities, um, in our cultural and political climate. I don't have all the answers. But reading this text helps me see there are some things that just don't work. <laughs> and I'm seeing those around me. And I'm trusting that as we individually follow Jesus, as we cultivate relationships of trust, trying to give the benefit of the doubt, engage in conversation with those whom we first love and then may disagree with. It gives appreciation and understanding. And maybe it will help bridge the gap of some of those dividing lines between us. May this come as an encouragement and a challenge to you and I today.